Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Empower Podcast. This is episode 27. Our guest is going to be Jennifer Chesick. Um, she is an author of the Psilocybin Handbook for Women. And yes, I am reading it. Uh, it is quite something to read. This is, again, a podcast run by healthcare professionals for healthcare professionals with an overall goal of continuing to raise transparency and awareness in the healthcare realm and to have this overall goal as well to have legislation passed in the state of Colorado mandating employers to provide and support through employee wellness programs, which are not limited to and would contain a minimum of eight wellness days for all healthcare professionals per quarter, a minimum deposit of 2000 US dollars or whatever fiat they do use into an HSA account per quarter that is exempt at the federal, state, and local levels in the establishment of an anti-retaliation department run by a third party. At Empower, we continue to believe in the power of community, diversity, and inclusivity to create positive change and help improve society. Our goal is to continue to aim to aim is to amplify the voices that often go un who are making a difference in their communities and beyond. Through thought-provoking conversations and inspiring stories, we strive to raise awareness and promote action towards a more equitable and sustainable healthcare realm throughout the world. Join us as we explore new perspectives challenge assumptions, and work towards creating a brighter future for all. Today, our guest, again, is Jennifer Chesick. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And where are you coming to us from? I live in Nashville, Tennessee. All right, well, Air 5. I'll send that out <laughs> to it. you. All right, everybody, again, we encourage our listeners uh, to share their experiences anonymously if they, as well if they would like. And you can email us at the Empower email, which is the word Empower, that's Echo, Mike, Papa, Oscar, Whiskey, Echo, Romeo, Alpha, One, at Proton.me. We are available on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, and at this moment, before uh, continuing, if you can, subscribe or hit the bell if you like our content to continue to get this material delivered to you. Um, you can follow us and stay informed in the ever-changing landscape. All right, it's time to sit back, be yourself no matter what, and get ready to be empowered. All right, Jennifer, this is the part where we give a big community thank you to anybody or any groups or whatever it is, any kind of thanks that you'd like to give. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, I would really love to just thank everyone in the psychedelic community that has been so welcoming to me, receptive to my book, and um, you know, just the online community that's really supporting this, people who are having me on my on your on their podcast. So thank you so much. It's so sweet. Um, and I would love to thank my psilocybin guide, Gabriel Castillo. I just feel like the gifts that he has brought me are immense, as well as his mother, um, Bridget Rivera. So thank you so much. Wow. So I usually find a spot in the show where uh, I ask myself, Brett, do you feel empowered? And this is happening this week during Psy Week. Yeah, this is episode three of Psy Week, everybody. All right. Anyways, uh, and do you feel empowered, Brett? And after that, thank you. And it's happened the last one, too. And there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, yes, you make me feel empowered, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you. You make me feel empowered as well. All right. So we're going to start off with the first question, if we can. Jennifer, what is the integrity of healthcare like for you? Okay, so I think there are a lot of problematic things going on in healthcare. So um, to start, I think healthcare workers are overworked and pushed to the brink um, so too often, and therefore that 
has a that has a problematic effect on patients where women are getting gaslit at the doctor's office. So there's misogyny and healthcare going on still to this day. Um, and again, healthcare workers are being, you know, just they're overworked too much. That's my opinion, but they don't have enough time for patients. So I think something sort of underlying in the healthcare industry really needs to change. Uh, and that, it, that that probably starts in med school. I feel like in med school, healthcare workers are not getting the information that they need to really support preventive care rather than just treat the disease once it crops up. I mean, that's clearly what's happening is treating the disease once it crops up. But there are so many things we can do to prevent diseases. And I feel like that is falling, that, that really just isn't happening in healthcare. So it's problematic. Yeah. And we can go into depth on any of those. Topics. Oh, absolutely. No, I, and I think for me, I've simplified it in, in whichever way you want to, but it's, uh, we have Eastern medicine and uh, Western medicine, and you have the preventative side and there's a heavy onset on preventative in one area. And then the other side, like you said, is remediation, which we're very good at here in the United States, you know, uh, at least in any part of the world that I've seen, but yeah, to see those two come together and I, it, we're in the Renaissance, in my opinion, to see this all happen, whatever is happening, something's happening. So I agree. Yeah. yeah. And I'm excited about that. Mm -hmm. I do hope that healthcare as a whole starts to become more receptive to psychedelics and plant medicines in general, general, including cannabis, because there are so many benefits, but so many healthcare workers are sort of dis or doctors really are just sort of discounting these things even come to light. That's not everybody. Of course, we're, we are having sort of new psychedelic, second psychedelic movement. And so I don't mean new in that way. It's just a reason. Well, no, that's event, a good distinction but, to have. And yeah. there are all these distinctions that happened within history when it comes to it. And then the, the distinctions that are happening right now of picking up where we kind of left off. Uh, yeah. And continuing on and being able to see that. And there's still people that are around that were like, yeah, no, I remember that research article from 1974 and we were talking about X and Y and now you guys are finally still talking about that now in 2023. Yeah. Okay, right. cool. And, and I was just seeing too, a lot of research is even, sorry, we're getting to the overall question too is, uh, and we'll get to it, is seeing that overall yeah. research come out now because of the passing of legislation and whatnot. So, all right, we're up to the next question, uh, which is Jennifer, because you are an author. Can you please briefly tell us about your book and what inspired you to write it? Absolutely. So the book is called The Psilocybin Handbook for Women. And uh, I have a background in a little bit of a background writing about psychedelics just for news outlets. But I have a deeper background really in women's health. That would be more, my more level of expertise rather than being, I mean, now I'm a psychedelics expert, I would call myself. But before I started this book, I was, I was learning quite a bit. And so, but women's health is where I really have a lot of passion for that simply because I feel like, and, and this is true, the healthcare industry has sort of left women behind. And just to kind of reflect on that a little bit, if you think about the fact that women were largely excluded from early stage clinical needs, um, that has set us so far back in women's health. And to sort of put that into perspective with some, with a little timeline, I always like to give this example. So uh, in 1998, men had a drug for male sexual dysfunction. And everyone knows what that is. It's Viagra, right? Mm -hmm. At that point in time, 
uh, we didn't even know, we didn't even have a complete picture of the clitoris. It has all this internal structure, and that wasn't really determined until 2005, when a female scientist, of course, a urologist, she dug into and discovered this in 2005. And then if we fast forward, it wasn't until 2015 that women got a drug for female sexual dysfunction. So that's a 17-year spread from when men got a drug for a condition until women got a drug for a condition. And that is very problematic and women are more likely to get gaslit at the doctor's office. Their, their pain totally discounted. It's, it's happened to me. And so this is just a really frustrating thing. So going back to your question about why did I write the book, it's important that we have books out there that treat the female body differently than the male body because they are largely inherently different. And so um, it's, it's important to understand the context that are important for women's lives or people assigned female at birth and their lives when it comes to plant medicines, including psychedelics. And so um, we have a menstrual cycle, at least until we reach menopause and, or, or you know something else uh, occurs in our lives that stops the menstrual cycle. But the thing that psilocybin, for example, can impact the menstrual cycle. And so it's very important that we have these contexts, but also the book includes information about menopause and psychedelics, um, conditions that disproportionately affect women or the female body and that or, or are there are lots of conditions that only affect the female body and there are conditions that affect us very differently than that it than when they occur in the male body so again that's why the book really focuses on women's health because of these things right wow and that's a heck of a reason to uh that, to be of an inspiration too i think yeah. And you had your shout out earlier and I, I am, I do dabble in art a little bit. And I think for me, there's the quote, regardless of who it was by, cause I've, I've mentioned the, the artist's name. I'm not going to say who it is. They, people can look it up, but it was the true um, artist is not the one who is inspired. It's the one that inspires others. So yeah, I know there's a that. distinction here, but um, to see that, that actually in action, cause you, through your own shout out too, you kind of just said that overall difference and what you could bring and to bring it into physicality literal physicality, you know, to want to give and to share with others because sharing is honestly how we win as a human race, Absolutely. I think. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, so I guess, and you kind of dabbled into it, but if we could fine tune a little bit, how would you see the role of psilocybin in women's health and wellness? Like the overall role? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that I feel like psilocybin can help with. So in my book, I have an entire chapter on um, looking at the research that the female body affect us differently or disproportionately affect us, like go through like condition by condition, uh, including, uh, you know, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, endometriosis, uh, all these different things. So I think there's a lot of context there for, uh, for women uh, reading the book. But yeah, I mean, in terms of how can psilocybin help women, women, definitely, I think with menstrual conditions that affect the menstrual cycle, including premenstrual dysphoric disorder, um, and then symptoms of menopause. Menopause isn't a condition, it's just life that we enter, but the symptoms can feel like you're dealing with a chronic condition sometimes. And so, uh, so I think there's some avenues to help there. Um, definitely female sexual dysfunction, there seems like there's some, some connections there with psilocybin where it could help. And, um, and then just in general, I think 
we have different lived experiences than men. And um, there's a lot of things that can crop up, including we're disproportionately affected by PTSD, trauma, anxiety, depression, female or women are the female body. So, um, so lots of avenues to help there. And I always like to explain sort of an, in a nutshell, how does the assignment help with some of these conditions, specifically with mental health? And so um, there is scientists came up with a model, it's called the Rebus model, and that stands for relaxed beliefs under psychedelics, which I just love that acronym. And uh, and then they came up with an analogy on uh, like how does that really work? So in normal states of consciousness, our brains are very rigid. When we're young, they're super flexible. What I mean by that is we haven't really formed our ideas about ourselves or how the world around us operates. So that's all really super flexible and entropic when we're children. As we get into adulthood, those pathways of how we of how we think about ourselves and the world around us, those become really rigid. So the analogy is that we can think of that rigid mind as like a frozen pond. And then if you were to try to take a new belief uh, about yourself or about how the world around you operates, um, think of that as a rock. And if you try to drop that rock on a frozen pond, it doesn't gain entry, right? Because we're just so solidified in the way that we think. That's in normal states of consciousness in adulthood. But if we are on a psychedelic, that's where the relaxed beliefs come in. The, the brain suddenly becomes very um, flexible and open. And so it's almost like a thawed pond. Now we've just got water. If you take a rock and try to drop it in, it gains entry. So that new belief gained rate causes a ripple effect. So I see a lot of potential for helping people with um, things like eating disorders. And we're starting to see some research come out in clinical trials. It's really promising for anorexia nervosa, for example. So uh, helping with body image and just feeling con more connected to, we often, um, know that we have friends and family and a support system but psychedelics in my opinion really help you feel it like i can still feel it from my journey this beautiful support system out there that i have and so i think there's a lot of potential there for helping people just to really understand that they are part of a larger thing they're part of community and uh and rather than feeling so isolated or alone in their experiences wow thank you for sharing Absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you. Being the overall mission and one of the missions of Empower, it is um, to be able to look out for the overall well-being of healthcare professionals and the community at large. Um, I'm going to fine tune here. Do you see potential benefits from with psilocybin in supporting the overall well-being of healthcare professionals? Yeah, absolutely. Again, with fostering that community, for sure, with each other, but also, you know, healthcare workers see a lot of really difficult things in their jobs. And so they endure trauma, even though they might not be the one physically hurt, they're you know, helping people. If I can, in, if I can interject, the, the body keeps count. Is this what you're? Yeah. Okay. And the mind keeps yeah, count. Okay. Right. Of course. Mm -hmm. So, they can be very traumatic for you and they build up within you and so obviously we know that psychedelics and there's tons of research out there about this right now is that psychedelics can help with trauma and uh, I think sort of bring a sense of peace about these things that you're witnessing day to day and maybe internalizing them but not really recognizing how they are impacting your body or maybe they, maybe you're really well aware of that how, how they're impacting your body but I ultimately see that psychedelics can be a huge benefit in this area wow and then let's see here 
then I guess we can go into the overall question. What, in your opinion, is happening in healthcare? <laughs> yeah. So I covered it, that a little bit already. You absolutely but I did. Dig a little deeper. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. I just there's such a problem with the way that we operate in healthcare, especially in the U.S. I'm not an expert about healthcare elsewhere, except for certain areas. But um, you know, we are we're doing it backwards. We really need to be focusing on prevention rather than whack a mole after the fact when we have all these diseases crop up, and so. I think what's really important is for medical schools to start teaching about nutrition. There's so many things that, so many diseases really, and causes of death that are actually related to high blood sugar, which is really from, you know, problematic nutrition. And so, um, you know, eating too much added sugar, things like that. But we aren't focusing on that as a healthcare system. We are only treating diet when it, when it turns into type two diabetes, then we treat it or when it's heart disease, then we treat it. And we really need to be focusing on these things before they occur, because that improves quality of life for people. It would be more cost efficient if we did prevent focused on prevention. And, you know, I think there's just a, a real problem with, um, you know, there's a shortage of primary care doctors and people in primary care. But the way that our system is set up is that the primary care doctor sort is supposed to be logistically helping to manage all your other issues with healthcare. And so I see a lack of cohesion because I don't think that's happening. We have a shortage of primary care doctors. And then even if you get a primary care doctor, they're operating in isolation and not talking to, say, your OBGYN or your, you know, I have asthma, so like your pulmonologist, there's not this cohesion that's supposed, the way that the healthcare system is set up, it's supposed to have cohesion, but it's just not happening. And that's creating an issue where the patient is forced to manage their own healthcare. And it can become, if you have chronic illness, that can become a full-time job of just managing your own healthcare, getting, trying to get doctors to talk to each other. Um, and, you know, problems occur, mistakes happen. There's, uh, you know, so many issues. Plus, not only that, then you have to manage all the bills, you know, and you have to figure out the logistics of paying those or managing your credit with that. And it's just that system, that system opinion. seems that system seems to work fine. The the financial, the billing part of healthcare, it is exceptional. I have to say it's probably one of the fastest businesses out there and the ability to collect research oh, sure. from it from insurance yeah, companies. For profit, Correct. And that's Super problematic, mm -hmm. you know, in my yeah. opinion. Mm -hmm. And I just had, um, oh my gosh, this I had uh, K on. Uh, K was is episode two of Psy Week. All right, so and K was mentioning um, that a majority of healthcare systems are mainly owned by investors. So the overall progression and integrity and movement in any way, shape, or form is really up to investors versus the experience. And moving forward with what the community is, I guess, asking and how they can look to yeah. give back to over their, their all overall life. I think it's where, yeah. Okay, cool. Had to cut out there. Um, and then I guess for the next question would be, are you, if those uh, looking, are looking to go into your line of work, whether to be an author, uh, to work in women's health, uh, to work with psychedelics, what would be an empowering piece of advice for someone? Uh, maybe it could even be questions to ask prior to employment nowadays, things to look for. Um, in the healthcare office, or excuse me, in the doctor's office, or uh, <laughs> or um, prior to employment, uh, and helped you continue on with that passion that you have. 
Absolutely. I think if you if you feel called to do something different than what you're doing now or to get into a field, I, I believe in following that calling. And, I, you know, I, I knew at a young age that I wanted to be a journalist. I don't know how that came about. It just I guess I had a fifth grade teacher who was like, you should be a journalist. And I was like, I'm going to do that. You're so right. And so I did. I just followed that path my whole life and it worked out. But, you know, even if you if you didn't get that calling in fifth grade like I did, um, you know, it's never too late to switch career paths. It's never too late to get into something that you feel really passionate about. I have a friend right now who, um, you know, she formerly worked in um, helping to manage clinical trials for just random medical things. And um, she is now, she's got her master's in social work and she's trying to focus on psychedelics. And so, you know, we're similar age or our forties. And I just really think it's so great that she, because she had that calling that she's following that path. And I see that it's the right path for her. So um, yeah, if you feel that just, just go for it and, and follow your heart and it'll, it'll manifest over time. It's, you know, I believe in manifestation, even though that sounds a little nope, blue. You're not alone. Yes, I do too, for sure. And to keep those present too. That's the other one too, is to know then to know they're still present. <laughs> Potentially yeah. too. But okay, and this is part of the show too. And again, this has been episode twenty seven with Jennifer Chesick. Uh, do you have are your empowering quotes here to bring us all back? I do. So I think one that I love that actually my psilocybin guide said to me, and I, I didn't know if it was his quote or what, but I looked it up and it's a Ralph Waldo Emerson, Emerson quote. And it's beautiful. It's um, the, it just really resonated with me. It's the love that you withhold is the pain that you carry. So I'll say it again. The love that you withhold is the pain that you carry. And, um, you know, I just feel like it's so pro such a profound statement because that's so true when we are not, connecting with our communities or when we're not leaning fully into a friendship for some reason it's because we're protecting ourselves from hurt because we've been hurt in the past and so i just i just love that quote wow yeah thank you very much <laughs> and, and, for oh go ahead Sorry. oh you're welcome i was gonna say one more um the i think that what another one that is so important is that your past is not your potential this is something that i was said to me in feel like it was I was in college I was um, working with at-risk youth and the social worker that was part of that program she shared that quote with me and we shared it with the students in that program in that you know just because you've made a mistake in your past or something bad has happened that doesn't mean that your future is set with that you know your again your past is not your potential so I think that's such a alright quote too to never never take what happened before and think that that's just going to be your life um good or bad if even if we've had really great success in our lives we still need to keep striving for success but if we've had failures that doesn't mean we're always going to have failures oh my goodness and yes we always bring more than one quote thank you you got me i was like some people they bring one so you got me you got me it got me on this friday and happy friday everybody happy friday to yeah, you too jennifer friday. i think that's it thank you very much all for being here again please follow uh hit the bell icon and we also have our ko-fi thank you Bye for now.